Congratulations. You wiggled your way to the XFIL. You can sit back and relax, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here, and with me as always, my co-host, Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you're brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT, and our goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you come along with us for that journey. If you enjoy the show, the absolute best thing you can do to support us is rating the show on whatever platform you listen to. Five stars, thumbs up, like, whatever it is, we appreciate you doing it. This week, we're going to dive straight into Wigglegate. Give our takes on where Tarkov stands after all of this, and some thoughts on cheaters, and of course, some raid stories. Trigger, how's your week been? Oh, man. <laughs> we've we've had some crazy raids recently. You know, I think full disclosure, the reason it's been so long since the last episode is we've actually been enjoying the game. We We took some time off during, you know, the craziest beginning of all this cheating mess, whatever you want to call it, Wigglegate. We we kind of jumped back in just to see how the game was, and we've had some absolutely insane raids. So I really want to talk about the raid where we got Sanitar, I got two Shooter Born in Heaven kills, but you teased a story last time about something that happened on Shoreline that I still don't know what it is, but I'd really like to know if you still remember what happened or whatever the story you teased was. I'm super curious about that first. All right. Well, since we're going to talk about Sanitar and Shoreline anyways, uh, I will follow up with my promise to talk about my disasterful raid on Shoreline from the last episode so we can finish up with something good, right? My story on Shoreline, I was trying to do Mosin kills without a scope, which is just an awful task. But I'm, I'm running around trying to get some you know, ranged Mosin kills, and I was in between power and gas on the left side of the map, so kind of on the west side of the map. And I came up from gas, and I stopped on the ridge to look and see if the sniper scav was on top of the power station. And he was, of course. He didn't see me. And I go and take a shot. I don't have a scope, right? I just got iron sights on the Smosin. And I totally miss. And the sniper scav starts shooting at me, right? And I just run around trying to not get shot by the sniper scav. And then I come back up, I, I kind of duck behind the ridge, hide in a bush. I try to de-aggro the, the sniper scav, and I come back up and I shoot him again. And what I didn't hear was a two-man team come up behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm paying attention to the sniper scav, and the sniper scav starts shooting slightly in a different direction. And I just thought he couldn't see me. It never even occurred to me that there was a two-man team behind me. And so the sniper scav starts shooting at them. And I still had no idea at this point that they were behind me. And so I, I'm just cautiously trying not to get shot. I'm hiding in the bush. I wait for like 15, 20 seconds. I pop out of the bush. I aim perfectly for the sniper scav. And I'm pointing in a slightly different direction and I die. What just happened? I realized after that I heard somebody behind me. But I didn't put two and two together because I was so hyper-focused on the sniper scav. And, you know, it's just like everything else. Sometimes you have raids where things go right. Sometimes you have thing raids when things go wrong. But sniper scav really distracted me. And I know better 
because I know that that's an, a lane where PMCs come up from gas and come up from the pier. And I just totally forgot about it. And uh, I was fighting the sniper scav and got owned by someone else. And all I can hope is that the sniper scav got the other two guys. So there you go. That's my <laughs> that's my bad shoreline story that I promised everybody from the last episode. What's what's particularly amusing? Sorry for your discomfort there, but what I find particularly amusing is I think it was one or two episodes ago when we talked about how to use the sniper scav or scavs in general to like call out the direction of enemies. <laughs> and, then, and then right after that, you experience this. So I'm sorry, but you know, not. <laughs> oh, yeah. I completely didn't take my own advice, potatoing the sniper scav with a Mosin and then got shot by two PMCs coming up behind me. I mean, it was. Pretty bad. <laughs> On a brighter note, let's talk about this crazy raid that we had. And I think this was probably one of the best shoreline raids I've ever had. As we were talking about it after the fact, I think there's a couple things in it that have led me to believe that as the general player base gets better, that playing in squads or a two-man specifically just has so many advantages. I, I want to break this down. So to start from the beginning, we both had the shoreline quest to, uh, what is it? Did you get 15 suppressed kills? Is that it? Or was it with AKs? I can't remember the exact quest it was. No, it was the weekly quest where we had to just survive 15 raids. Oh, <laughs> that's right. I was, like, I was like, what drove us in there? I forgot about that. So we both got, and I don't know how random this is, but we both had the survive 15 raids on shoreline. And as we're gearing up for this, you know, both of us, I think, had done a couple solo and had various degrees of success. But as we were going for it, we're like, okay, how do we want to approach this? And so what we landed on was we're going to go in with suppressed guns, pretty good ammo, basically everything that we need to, to have fights. But we're going to avoid loot areas and we will go check out scav areas and just move through them. And so we gear up, I put on some kind of AK, you know, with a scope, and I've been using the Valde a lot. Class 4 armor, you know, headset, couple grenades, and then we were taking in food and water because what had become very effective for us was pushing up to a choke point, taking out any scavs, and then waiting for like three or four minutes for players to kind of randomize their location more on the map, you know, just a little more entropy going on, people in different spots. And after we held down areas for a couple minutes, we would move on. So in this particular raid, we had already had a couple successful runs. We're like, okay, we just spawned. We're on the north side of the map, northwest side of the map, right near Path to Lighthouse. So the first thing we do is we say, okay, Let's go check if there's sniper scav up on the rock by rock passage. I, and I can't remember. Did we did we kill scavs up there right in the beginning? We did because we had the prepper task. I think it's prepper. We have to, turn, at least I had the prepper task where you have to turn in the seven half masks and kill 12 scavs is it on shoreline with some kind of, with a suppressed gun or something like that. Okay. That was where the suppressed gun quest came in, right? So we, we had a reason to be killing scavs. So it was like, okay, we need to survive, but we also got to kill scavs, and we had a few things we wanted. So again, we weren't in a big hurry, and that's really kind of important for this raid. So we're both in pretty similar kits, right? I think it was class four armor, you know, helmet, headset, food and water. Very intentionally, we both had food and water, and then a couple of grenades. So we go up, we take out the sniper scav, we wait a second, 
And we decide, okay, well, we can cross the bridge here. And we're having this conversation live while we're just sitting there waiting. We can sit there, cross the bridge, move towards Xville and reset. But it had been like two or three minutes since the raid started, and no one was showing up on the north side of the map. And normally someone would run through. We had scenarios where we ran up to Rock Passage and got in a fight, like the previous match, I think, or the previous raid. So we decide, no, let's go clear out bus. Uh, that way you can get a couple scav kills, and then maybe we can pick off some sniper scavs at power, because we hadn't heard any shooting the entire raid. So we start running kind of parallel to the resort on the west side. We're heading south. I remember saying, all right, hey, why don't you go down to bus, and I'll cover your back. So Ronald kind of goes down the rocks in front of resort to get to bus just to see if there's any scavs. And as he's doing that, I'm looking down the dirt road back to the west. If you know the area on shoreline, there's a big rock on the west side of the road. It's kind of just like a marker where there's a lot of open area around it. So it's a place I usually look if I'm going to look back that way. And I see a player run from the rock kind of into the trees, almost as if they're heading towards the village. So I call it out and I said, hey, I just saw a player. And Eric's like, all right, I'm clearing out bus. I don't think there's any scabs there. I'll, I'll back you up in a second. So I start strafing to the right, kind of back into the right, just to try to get a better angle on this rock, because I think this guy's going to be coming at me or potentially just sitting at the rock. And about 10 seconds go by and I don't see anything. And I'm convinced that I saw a player. And I'm like, what is going on? So Eric's like, where'd you see the guy? And he's now coming kind of down the dirt road. And I was like, well, I saw him over by this rock and I, I strafed right. And then all of a sudden I'm panning left to see where Eric's coming down the road. And I see this guy in the field, like a hundred meters out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he got across the road somehow. And he's now running kind of towards power, like in that grassy area up that little incline hill. And so I quick ADS in and I forgot that I was on full auto and I shoot two shots. I meant to shoot one, but I shoot two and this guy, he drops immediately. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I just headshot that guy on the first bullet. I look really quick because I'm like, man, what was the distance on that? And I haven't had a single shooter born in heaven kill up to this point and I just got the quest not that long ago. So I look and boom, first shooter born in heaven kill on shoreline down. And so I'm, you know, I've got that, you know, heart pumping, like awesome. That felt great. And then we're sitting there talking about it. And I'm like, well, that's the most precarious wide open corpse that I've ever seen. But I got a shooter born in heaven kill. So I really don't care if I die. So I'm going to go loot him and see what he had. I go loot him. And he's got an absolutely juiced M4, couple mags with 855A1, some M995. And he's got a Smith and Bender scope on it that I hadn't used yet. I think it's the six by 24 and it's got it's not just your typical crosshair it's got a little couple extra red marks below and above the middle of the crosshair and i just really liked it so i'm like oh i'm gonna shoot this this looks fun at that point i've looted him he doesn't have a buddy i asked eric to cover me and i was like all right i'm probably gonna die here just shoot whoever comes and loots my body if it happens <laughs> so at that point i i'm just kind of like okay this is great well let's go get some more scav kills you know, we're now 10 minutes into the raid. We're not even past the halfway point of the map yet. We need to get through a choke. So I said, why don't we cross south now? I'll go scope out gas station for your scavs. And why don't you check for sniper scavs at power? So we kind of move up to gas. 
I take out a prone spot and I'm just kind of watching, right? Just to see if anything's moving. And if I remember right, was it two sniper scavs? Because I, I remember you you had to put some work in or we were separated for quite a while. Yeah, those two sniper scabs on top of the power station. And then there was another scav on the east side of kind of like the spine rock in that area. And so we ended up getting split a little bit and having those scavs shoot at us a couple times from each side until we got them. Right. And I, I didn't need scab kills at that point. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'm just going to wait. So I go kind of on that big hill overlooking gas. There's some rock formations that you'll sometimes see people on. And I just took a prone spot on that hill where I could see the truck on the road where people have to cross through where that ammo crate is. And I could also see down pier. And I think it probably took five minutes, right? And I think you may have even had two scavs on the ground because there was one scav, to your point, like up on the rocks, up on the hill. But then you had the two sniper scavs to deal with. And I think it took like five or six minutes. I mean, you had to put some work in to get those scavs done because the sniper scavs are insane now. They're absolutely insane. Like you peek and they're shooting your thorax out. So again, another like five or six minutes pass. And I'm just sitting there just, you know, seeing if scavs spawn down at gas and just telling Eric about anything that I see, which wasn't much. You know, I think there was a scav like maybe way down on the pier that I didn't really want to waste a bunch of ammo trying to hit. So then I think you cleared all the scavs and you're kind of working your way towards me. And then all of a sudden I see a PMC get through the road section and start running down the pier. And I've got the M4 from the first guy that I killed. And I'm like, well, let's see how this goes. I shoot probably four shots and I kind of see where the bullet's hitting. And on the fourth or maybe fifth shot, I headshot this guy from 234 meters as he's about to enter the pier while he's still on that road. And I check again in my tasks and boom, shooter born in heaven, kill number two. Right. So I'm freaking out at this point. I'm like, I just hit another shooter born in heaven shot. Let's go. I've never hit two in the same raid. Or if I have, it's been a really long time. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe he has a buddy. Let's let's hang out for a minute. It, at that point, I'm like, well, I really don't care if I die at all. So I want to see what the second guy had. So we kind of make our way down pier and we do it safely, right? So we kind of go down the hill on gas, go down to the beach, and we're just kind of making sure there's no scabs or anything going on. So I, I kind of run up first, Ronald's covering my back. I start looting the corpse of the guy and he's got a bag full of loot. He's got a good gun, just all kinds of stuff. And then I hear a weird voice line. And it's been a while since I've encountered Sanitar. I don't think I've encountered him since they added the unique voice line. And I'm like, I just heard something that I don't think's a scav. I'm like, do you know what Sanitar sounds like? So Ronald walks up and he's like, oh, not really. And then he starts talking. He's like, oh, that is definitely Sanitar. So I'm like, okay, cover me. I'll go in. I think I need a Sanitar kill. I need his bag or whatever. So I'm like, okay, how do you want to approach this? And Ron's like, I'll, I'll hold outside. Go for it. So we go in the pier building. Ronald's covering the outside and I clear the bottom floor and I go out the back door. I'm assuming I'm going to see Sanitar there based on where we're hearing the audio and he's not there. And Ronald at that point has pushed up to that kind of front left corner or excuse me, front right corner if you're looking at the building. And I'm like, okay, they have to be upstairs. And now we're hearing just all kinds of voice lines and I'm like, oh, this is going to be crazy. So I'm like, all right, well, I've got a M4 with good ammo here. Let's see how it goes. At that point, you were like, you had a couple thoughts, like how we should approach this. Remind me of what you were thinking there. 
Well, I pushed up past the entryway and then I was by the garbage bags and like that those garbage cans that are right on the corner of the pier building because I wanted to look back down the pier to make sure no PMCs would come up and we could hear something going on in the building. You had killed one raider on the first floor and you were hurt and you were healing yourself. We didn't want to get in the building at the same time and shoot each other. So I was outside covering the door. And as you were healing yourself, we heard Sanitar upstairs walking around and two other raiders. And one of those raiders peeked out the door. I shot him while you were healing. And then we're like, okay, we still hear two more up there. And so you go up the back steps. And then what happened then? (laughs) I forgot the exact sequence. So I had to switch guns because I was out of ammo at that point. And I go up the back steps. Sanitar's crouched, and there's another raider right behind him. And so I spray all of my rounds into Sanitar, kill him. I start changing my spray pattern up to get the raider, and I hear the dreaded click. And he's putting rounds into me. I'm bleeding everywhere. Fortunately, I had taken a painkiller before the fight, because on the first raider kill, I I used a propitol, so I still had the pain-killing effect rolling over. And I'm screaming at this point. I'm I'm worthless. I'm awful teammate at this point. I'm like, he's gonna kill me, help. <laughs> right? And there's nothing there's nothing wrong I could do at this point. Somehow I get back down that staircase. And fortunately it's that kind of L staircase and very short. So I got back down. I'm at like a hundred HP, maybe even less, with bleeds. So I retreat and get back into the bathroom, like, I'm safe, I'm in the bathroom. And right then I hear a couple shots and Ronald's like, I got him through the window. And we ended up clearing all of them. Like it, it couldn't have gone better, even in that chaotic moment of okay, we've killed two raiders. I know I just killed Sanitar, but I ran out of ammo, and I had just the freak out. There's just no getting around it. I, I mean, I was useless. I was probably making it impossible for you to hear. It's like save me. <laughs> and from my perspective, what happened is when you were fighting Sanitar and finishing off Sanitar with the last bit of your ammo. There was a raider slow walking with his gun pointed up towards that office, slow walking across the first floor of the pier building. And all I did was I creeped around the corner and blasted him. And at that moment, everything was finally under control and taken care of. And it was just (laughs) hilarious because we're both adrenaline's pumping. We're both going a little bit crazy. We can't believe what just happened. And this whole sequence is like less than 30 seconds. And it's awesome. It's a great Tarkov moment. And we scooped up all the loot. And then we had to like get it together because there was still 25 minutes left in the raid. And we had to exfil on the other side of the map. But it was one of those like great Tarkov moments where good fight. If we hadn't been doing it as a duo, uh, it would have been pretty tough to do that one solo. This is a good moment, man. Good Tarkov moment. I agree. And I think the the duo aspect was really good there because I probably wouldn't have looted the first guy. I definitely wouldn't have pushed down to the pier and 100% would have died to a raider there just because of the configuration of the guards that Sanitar had there. And I mean, perhaps I would have lived, but I think the chances were much, much higher that I don't survive that. So getting the Sanitar quest done and two Shooter Born in Heaven kills and between us, I think we racked up like 10 scavs, maybe more. It was just crazy experience. I think mine was over 10K. Yours was close to it. 
And there's one there's one other piece I forgot. We ended up using the new railway extract, which I hadn't used yet, which when you're heading towards Road to Customs, if you're heading there down kind of the main road from the pier, you want to stay on the left side of the road so you don't hit the mines in front of the compound. But when you get to that scav tower, you crossed and were like extracted and I was so overweight that I was behind you. And that scav tower, the scav that was on it was one of those crazy PS SKS scavs. And he was destroying me. I had to <laughs> had to use an ETG and I think a morphine so that I could just run and get out of there. And he was blasting me till the second I got out of the raid. So after all of it, I even had that horrible moment of panic against just a scav because I couldn't see him and all those cars near that scav tower or that sniper tower. And oh man, <laughs> I mean, my heart hadn't pumped enough that raid already. What an end. I really like that new extract. And that scav tower there is usually one scav there. Usually if you're still late in the raid, you can still get a scav kill on the way out. And I think in that particular case, when I passed through, I think the scav was padding around in the woods because I looked and I didn't see anything. And you were maybe 10 seconds behind me, if that. Yeah, the scavs are definitely tuned up a little bit. Makes it more interesting. Not necessarily bad, but makes it more interesting. I do like that railway extract for sure. It seems to be a little bit safer than Road to Customs. I would say with the 15 survives on Shoreline as a task, we did a lot of Shoreline, obviously. Mm -hmm. Road to Customs seems a little bit spicier recently, especially with two, sometimes three scavs that spawn down there late in the raid. You can be extracting and all of a sudden get shot out of the woods and you don't even know where it's coming from. And in this particular case, we were loaded up with Raider loot and we wanted to get out. So, <laughs> Raider loot and an M4 that I wanted to save the preset for. <laughs> right. And I do, I do have to give a shout out here actually because after the raid, I ended up looking at the dog tags and the first guy, the first guy in the field in the very beginning of the raid, his dog tag was Alpha Tube. TV. And I've come to think that most like dog tags where someone's got like a Twitch name or a YouTube channel on them are just fake or a meme. Well, it turns out this was his actual channel. And so I went on and he happened to be streaming. And after that whole raid, so right, it's like 20, 25 minutes later. And I go back and watch the sequence and it was really impressive. He never saw us and he's running through that field and all of a sudden he just hears one bullet and drops. And he has that kind of moment of silence where you know, you're just kind of thinking about all the things that you could have done differently in the raid and you can tell he's upset. And this is just a few days, you know, maybe four days after the video that we're about to talk out comes out. So I'm not going to lie. I kind of just expected to hear the like, ugh, you know, cheater or whatever else, right? After that like brief moment of silence, he came out of it and was just like, man, that was a good shot. I don't know where that guy was. I didn't see him. Good shot. And then proceeded to talk to him. I ended up chatting with him and just a good dude. He's a Twitch partner, just a solid guy and, and ended up having a great conversation. And I just was impressed with how he handled it. Because in that same scenario, I don't know that I would have handled it that well, getting shot through the side of the head from that far after, you know, he cleared the area and just somehow happened to miss us. And I didn't even see my, my body on the VOD. He just didn't check that angle. So if you're looking for someone to watch or a cool dude that's playing Tarkov, Shout out to Alpha Tube if you go check his channel out. Just tell him that we shouted him out on the Xfil and uh, give him some love. I was impressed with how he handled it. So anyway, shout out there. My favorite part of that whole story is that you 
accidentally double shot and hit both shots <laughs> from like whatever 200 meters away it's not like this was like a high skill thing this is just a happy accident in the most hilarious tarkov way i i remember pulling the trigger i was like oh you know i did that little like oh shoot it's on full auto i really didn't have the expectation that i was going to drop him on the first shot i was really expecting to shoot him hopefully hit him once or twice and then have to track him and, and finish the fight. But, you know, it's that. <laughs> the, the, and the second one, I think, just traveled up and hit him in the head. It's happy accidents, the, the right way to call it. It's great. Absolutely love that stuff. All right. Well, we've made you wait long enough for our reaction to or thoughts on the video that we've somewhat referenced already. And I kind of want to preface this a little bit. We obviously are very aware of the video. We watched the video. We've shared some reaction videos with each other, but Ronald and I were very intentional to not share our thoughts until we recorded on this. So we didn't put any notes in the document. We didn't share any comments over Discord. We just kind of shared the videos that we watched and some of the Twitter posts that we saw. So this is very much the first time we're going to be talking about some of our thoughts related to it. And that was a very intentional thing. We talked about doing it. We knew it was going to be a big thing. We knew we didn't want to have a quick knee-jerk reaction. And frankly, the last week for both of us has been crazy. And the few times that we've been able to hop on Discord, we both needed to just relax from, you know, workday or family scenario, whatever it was, and, you know, try to shoot some enemies or get killed and lose some loot because our scav runs had been so successful. So that's the preface. We haven't talked about this yet. So I'm excited to dig in. So where where do you want to start with the video from GOAT? Well, I think we need to start with the obvious thing. Is Tarkov full of cheaters? In your opinion, what's your experience been? My experience this wipe or recently has been I've had two, maybe three suspicious deaths out of the, I think, 80 raids that I've died. And they were heavily weighted towards the beginning of the wipe. I think I might have even alluded to one on an earlier episode, maybe two episodes ago. I haven't been experiencing a whole lot of crazy. I had one scenario where I got grenaded, never heard or saw the person. I had a couple where I just got shot from insane distances. I say suspicious because I don't know if they were cheaters or not. It sure felt weird at the time, but I've also hit some crazy shots recently. I just told you about a couple where the receiving end of that probably felt a little suspicious. So I, I haven't ran into a whole lot. So that's, that's my opinion based on my experience. But I have seen a lot of the videos, even before, you know, goat stuff, just the crazy stuff that was happening, the invisible players, invisible scavs, you know, people rage hacking, all that kind of stuff. So I haven't personally experienced a ton of it this wipe, but I've seen a fair amount. So I, I thought it was pretty prevalent even before the video. I'm sure that there are plenty of cheaters in the game. I have not felt that I have died to a number of scenarios that were cheating. Kind of have the same opinion as you do. I think the more that I was honest with myself and the more that I recorded my gameplay and watched it back, I have died mostly to just good shots. I believe that it, since this wipe started, there's two occasions where I would say I died to a cheater. One of them was in a duel with you on customs, 
where we both died in a way that made no sense. The other one, I was by myself on woods. Where the shot came from, the angle that the sound of the bullet sounded like didn't make sense for how I was using cover. But other than that, I think the general Tarkov player base is getting better. And I think that means that people are dying in new ways that the old-time players are maybe not used to because there's more people that are better with the guns, better with aiming, finding cheeky spots to go and shoot from. So I appreciate what GOAT did, exposing a number of people who are cheating. And one of the things that I think he exposed is that the number of people who are cheating might be large. However, a lot of those people that are cheating are staying away from fights, and they're just going for high-value items and things like that. I actually thought that was one of the most interesting things that he talked about in the interview he did on the podcast with Veritas and Jesse Kazam. He was mentioning that it was actually really challenging in a lot of scenarios to get cheaters to even like engage with him. In the way that he described it, the people that were clearly cheating or wiggled at him in front of the video were just avoiding everybody, right? They, they did everything in their power to not encounter other players. He said that, that most of them don't want to get caught, right? So they, they probably don't want to kill a bunch of PMCs. The premise that Veritas kind of put forward was they're paying a certain amount for cheats in a day, and they're just trying to offset that by what they can get by doing real money transactions and selling what they get with it. So it's an interesting thing that you know, you and I haven't encountered it a lot, but there may be a lot in raids themselves. It's a very interesting situation. I still don't really understand what benefit there is to cheating in Tarkov, other than just, I guess, the obvious benefit of you get some items. But one of the interesting things is that the people who are cheating, who did engage in fights in GOAT's video, they weren't very good. So even though they had all of the information for where the person was that they were shooting at, they would still miss. And I guess you have to have some kind of aimbot or something, and then you can't miss, of course. But it just doesn't make any sense to me why anyone would care enough to do that. But there are people that do care enough to do it, obviously. I think that what GOAT's video did was shine a light on a problem that most games have, but not every game has it exposed in this way. There's cheaters in every video game, and I think that as Tarkov starts to go down this path of trying to deal with this problem, how are they going to get the cheaters out so that the perception, even if the actual experience of a player is not actually affected by cheating as much as what the perception is, Tarkov in BSG now has to deal with the perception that every time I die, it's because of a cheater or something along those lines. Or every time I'm looking for a quest item that I can't find, it's because of a cheater. That is a tough perception to deal with because BSG's reaction to this and most of the content creators' reaction to this video was so poor. The way that they reacted did not help anybody get through this without making it more than what it needed to be. And I guess one of the points that I'd like to talk about and kind of hover on for a few minutes is the community's reaction to this, especially on the streaming and content creation side. And on the Reddit side, the initial reaction was to attack it. And then on the Reddit side, it was to delete it. 
I'm not so sure about that approach. And what did you think about how that all went down? Well, you said a bunch there that I have thoughts on. I think the initial reaction to a cheating video is usually one out of fear, right? It's not like a fear of like anything in particular, but it's like, is this going to run off a bunch of players in this game? Is it going to cause people to go out and try the cheats? We don't want to promote cheats, so can we not promote this video? You know, from the Reddit standpoint, I mean, I think they try to follow the rules the best they can for what's allowed and what's not. It became clear in a lot of the content that there was a very specific strategy or someone figured out a strategy where this video could remain linked to or at least referenced by using another video to link to it. I don't know the Reddit mods or who was in charge of that, but it was interesting that it was being posted and posted and posted and deleted and deleted and deleted against the rules of that forum. I do think that one of the weirdest things, especially because this was from Goat, who's, you know, we'll say relatively unknown. I mean, he even says that in some of the stuff he's put out since before this video happened. And then, it, I mean, yeah, it was it was very interesting to see some of the takes and how challenging they were. Now, some of the most aggressive takes were, you know, content creators who were live at the time and their chats were going nuts about the video and basically strongly encouraging them to go watch the video. Having a live reaction to something like this, you know, especially if you are playing the game all the time and if you're experiencing more cheaters than the average player, it probably wasn't surprising and it was probably salt in a wound that was kind of quietly held by the population who played the game for a significant amount of hours every week. You were talking about before, and this is where my opinion kind of weaves into it, replay is something that's been talked about a lot. But it, it usually just from the like helping to identify cheaters. But I think what hasn't been discussed a whole lot is that the lack of a replay system in Tarkov or a kill cam and things like that is incentive for those people who are going to cheat to do it in this game because the only thing that anyone trying to ban them is going to do, they either have to detect the cheats, which is clearly harder than, you know, you got to try more than zero to find them, um, which <laughs> some of these cheats sounds like have been around a while, but that's besides the point. But then you have to go off of stats or a clip or something like that. But without a replay system, Tarkov's a good game for someone who's going to cheat to cheat in because you also have loot that's worth digital currency in the game. Hard to come by. It's a hardcore game. You can lose all your stuff. And then there, there's RMT. And I don't know much about RMT. I don't know how much, you know, real dollars anything is worth in the game. But there's clearly some exchange of value there for people that are participating in that. So the lack of a replay system, I think, makes it easier to maybe go undetected. Because there's plenty of times where I know I've died from legitimate means, but I don't exactly know how it occurred. And there could be a percentage of those that actually were cheaters, and I'll just never know. Because there's nothing I can go back and look at other than my perspective, if I recorded it. You know, and recently, in the past six months, I haven't recorded any gameplay footage. I've just been playing the game and enjoying it. So, to go back to your kind of original question, like, what do I think about how it was all handled in the beginning? I think we saw a little bit of everything. I think we got, you know, there's people that got mad about um, someone who, you know, thinking that he's promoting cheats, that Goat's promoting cheats by putting a video out there. There's people that got mad at BSG 
There's people that got mad at content creators because they didn't have a violent reaction or a supportive reaction to the video. But I think the only thing to me that's really clear is that the sentiment of the community, the broader community, and I would say specifically the voices that don't normally show up in chat or on videos, but the people that are just playing the game and love this game, started resonating really in a loud way that they weren't happy with how Battle State, how creators, how really anything was happening related to the discussion of cheating in Tarkov, right? And that's directed toward Reddit, it's directed toward everything. And then you had this massive correctional wave, right? You kind of had the apology videos, the backtracking, the people that were like, you know, like try to say, oh, well, I actually am not as negative about the video as I was. And so it's kind of really hard to watch that as, you know, someone who's taken a, a step back a little bit from creating as often, right? We don't record as often as we used to. And I've just been trying to enjoy games and finding ways to have fun. It, it was almost like kind of crazy when I checked in one day and then I check in four days later and it's like, Wow. So everyone that was really against this or anti the video or anti goat or not for cheaters, everybody backtracked. I don't know what to think about that because I think it's natural when something big like this that opinions change. But I think there was a lot of disingenuous posts and change of opinion that were probably done just to save face. Yeah, absolutely. I do agree with that. I think also to this particular incident in Tarkov's history has exposed a few things. One of the interesting concepts I've been thinking about is why do people cheat? They cheat and they get an advantage over other players. And whether that advantage is they don't have to spend as much time farming money because they only farm high value items or they kill PMCs and they get better weapons or better ammo so they don't have to spend as much time playing the game to level, crafting those things in their hideout, or doing tasks to unlock the ability to get them through normal gameplay progression. And one of the interesting things that came up from this was several of the larger streamers were accused of cheating themselves, because there's this idea that your KD or whatever stat that you think is the way to measure a good player in an FPS game was only achievable by being a cheater. And we saw some very interesting reactions, like Landmark taping a webcam to his head <laughs> to show that he wasn't a cheater. That was pretty funny. <laughs> I actually thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I love that it was like not like a really good GoPro or something. It was like your standard Logitech C920. <laughs> it was like, like duct taped to his head. It was great. Right, because the only way he could prove that he wasn't using an overlay was to show his screen, what it looked like in real time while he was playing. And I don't care if the guy's a cheater or not. He's obviously not. He's obviously one of the best Tarkov players in the whole game. But the whole thing is just an interesting reflection on the state of how content creators and their communities interact. I found the apology videos to be overly disingenuous is the way I would describe it. Because as the creators who were very negative at first and very salty about the whole thing, as popular sentiment changed against them, every one of them created something, whether it was in their stream or on YouTube or something, that tried to portray that they were the victim in the situation. 
And there's a couple of great examples out there. I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm just going to say that if you look hard enough, they're not hard to find. One of the things about this whole scenario that also came out was how much extra help streamers and some of the people who are in the Emissary and Sherpa programs get from BSG that really was kind of known but not really well-defined. And so, in a way, if you're a streamer and you're getting basically what amounts to free gear and free ammo and free armor, free guns from BSG because you're kind of a paid endorser of the game in a way, which means that you don't have to go through the overly burdensome process of farming those items so you can play on stream in an entertaining way without having to do what the rest of us all have to do to get those things to play that way. I found it interesting that those people, a lot of them were mad about this whole video exposure when they were the recipient of free gear. In a way, they were cheating their fans or cheating their viewers because BSG is propping them up somewhat artificially. And so there was a little bit of hypocrisy there amongst the content creation community. I found it very interesting the reactions of groups of individual communities of streamers or, you know, different chat rooms or whatever. And then the content creators doing damage control now for the last like, you know, two weeks, pretty much every day trying to figure out how to handle this. Ultimately, several of them releasing videos blowing the top off of secret streamer discords and then how the emissary and Sherpa programs and how that really works, how you're on lists to become enabled for drops, those kinds of things. I think that BSG has probably used strategies that most other games do. I mean, you can't tell me that other big games like PUBG or Call of Duty or Valorant, those games don't give their streamers something special on the account for the time that they put into the game. I, I think you're right, you know, and I've I've been a PUBG partner for a long time. I've received things in game, but they're all cosmetic or they are used for a cosmetic purpose. And I think most games that use some kind of partner program or emissary, whatever you want to call it, I think they tend to be a, you know, thanks for playing, so here's some cosmetic things that don't necessarily affect gameplay or give an advantage. I do think that this is a strategy used in other games, but other games don't have the potential to lose items, and they don't have the disparity between, you know, like ammo types. You know, like there's some people that are probably going to hear this podcast that haven't found or crafted or, you know, looted from a, an enemy top tier ammo yet this wipe. Come to find out that some of them are getting thousands of rounds of top tier ammo for being in these programs. It's a little different than these other programs with other gaming companies. I think, you know, I, I'm only involved in one, but I do think it's a little different when gear does make a big difference and ammo especially. It was kind of known, right? Sherpas were known to be getting loot because they're kind of expected to play with new players or guide people along and provide gear or ammo. Conceivably, they're going through a lot more stuff because they're helping people out. So it's nice to have that kind of loot crate come in once in a while so that they can continue to do that. But the emissary piece, which I think the program is called, you know, there's, it's kind of confusing, right? It's Sherpa, partner, emissary, I don't know which one, but just getting items because you are kind of an endorser of the game or in one of those discords helping provide feedback, whatever it is. 
I do think that's a little different than what other games use those programs for. I agree. My experience has largely been not with FPS games in this way, but things that are largely cosmetic, like you mentioned, for PUBG, usually don't break the game. And I'm not saying that a Sherpa or an Emissary or whatever getting extra gear breaks the game, but I do think that in a game like Tarkov that is very dependent upon skill getting you items which create success. And very dependent upon finding things while you have the pressure of someone could always find you, you could always get into a match, but at the same time you're trying to accomplish tasks, build things, find things, get quests done, mark things, whatever. Having the advantage of getting free stuff from Battlestate, but then complaining about people who cheat to get easier items, I found a little bit of a gray area there. I'm not going to say that someone who gets free stuff is the same thing as a cheater, but the end result is kind of the same. They both end up with an advantage over all the other players. And as I've been listening to these reaction videos or reaction postings on Reddit or whatever from these content creators, I think part of the pushback that these guys are getting, it's a little bit on the the shady side for them to be complaining about everything and going at it with such a hard take. I could be wrong about that. Love to hear your thoughts on that. But that's kind of where I'm landing watching a lot of the stuff in the last week. Yeah, I've seen that similar sentiment out there. And for me, it just kind of drives questions like why did the emissary program begin? Is there some reason for it that's just kind of simple? You know, like, If you're running eight hours of raids a day is a thousand rounds of 76239 BP, does that even move the needle? Is it just like, you know, you run out of ammo at some point because you're running so many more raids? So it's just a way to allow them to play the game more and not spend as much time crafting or, you know, I guess... I don't know if there's like a simple explanation that caused this to happen, you know, and and maybe it's because all the crafting restrictions came in and you can no longer buy a lot of the ammo from traders until you unlock it later. I don't know. I don't know necessarily what, what sort of led to it, but I guess I would have never thought about it as a gray area the way you posed it. I think that been a PUBG partner for a long time and it feels really weird to me that in-game items that are markedly better than what, you know, a lot of players have access to or given because I'm trying to think of like what a parallel would be. Like if I was dropping into PUBG and I always had a fully kitted M4 when other people were like, you know, shooting at me in the beginning, I, you know, I, I don't know what the right comparison is to other games. I don't know that I would want an advantage over other players. You know, even though, even though in Tarkov, like you can get killed by any ammo from any distance at any time, it feels like. So it's it's this weird thing where it's like, I never looked at that negatively. And I even question that gray area a little bit. But as you brought it up, it does feel a little weird to give high playtime players additional resources in the game when generally speaking, time leads to resources in the game. So it is a little odd, the more I think about it. But It seems like a very minor point in this whole situation, but it doesn't surprise me that the entire game, all of the systems, all of the content creators, all of the relationships between Battlestate and content creators, it doesn't surprise me that those are being picked apart right now because people are trying to figure out like what's a problem and what's not. 
it's hard to argue that cheating isn't a huge problem in Tarkov now. I think that would be a really hard stance to take. Whether you think it's 60% of raids have cheaters in it or 30%, that is a large cheating problem in the game. So I want to kind of ask you a question. I, I appreciate your promptings on this. So one of the things I haven't heard a lot about, but I've been thinking a lot about since this happened, is something we discussed a long time ago, maybe a year or a year and a half ago. It kind of leads into my my second point. One of the things I've been thinking about is like, what is the value of a game to the community, to investors, to, you know, to the people that are running the game in the future? And we've talked about this from a sustainability standpoint and how is the game making money in the future to be sustainable and continue in business? We've had this question with Tarkov for a long time because the only way they make more money off the player base is people upgrading. And if you upgrade your account to EOD, you get all future enhancements to the game for free, allegedly, right? We haven't seen anything major like that where there's, you know, EOD users get it and others don't. Arena, I think, will be the first opportunity for that. But I think about what the value of a game is. And the reason I gave that little bit of history there is I think that the value of a game is, you know, a lot of it has to do with your active player base, right? How many people are logging in and playing your game? Because that's the people that you're going to immediately market any new product or service or upgrade to. When all of this started happening, I'm like, man, what is this going to do to the player base, right? And we don't know. They don't release these figures. It's kind of a big estimation about what the player base is what this is going to do to it. But that that concept of value is also more challenging when you apply it to like, what does Battlestate spend their money on? And if you're questioning like, well, how do they get more money from the player base? Well, the, most of the player base right now is paid for the game. A lot of them have already upgraded. So how are you going to get more money from the player base? Well, you can get upgrades, sure. And I'm not talking about cheating as a revenue source for Tarkov. What I'm actually talking about is the anti-cheat piece. Everyone's looking at Battlestate like, what are you going to do about this cheating problem? What they do for the cheating problem, at least what I've seen, is they pay BattleEye for that service. And I'm sure they have some internal stuff as well. But I'm surprised that BattleEye hasn't taken more heat over this. Because it seems like they're the ones whose value is being questioned like crazy. Like, why is the Valorant anti-cheat catching Tarkov cheats? Like, if you're going to cheat in Tarkov, you can't have Valorant installed? And that's for stuff that's been out there for years, according to the video. And so I'm <laughs> looking at like where some of the, you know, hate and challenge has been posed to Battlestate or the creators. And I'm like, what about Battle Eye? What about that service? What does this do to the overall value of the game or Tarkov's ability to be sustainable? Right. And I don't, I don't want it to be negative, but I have questions about it. Like, how many people are just turned off from the game because they see this kind of problem? And what does that do to the, you know, future value of the game or its ability to make money? We've seen plenty of games lose their casual player base over things like this. And when the, you know, the casual player base goes away, that's where a lot of your numbers go and your ability to, to sell new product or upgrades or new services. So anyway, I wanted to throw that out there and see what you thought about the value discussion as it relates to all this. Well, from a business perspective, I think the gaming community needs to understand that an investor in a company like Battlestate doesn't normally care about the game being fun from a traditional FPS perspective. An investor is going to look at a game and say, what's your current active user count? What's your growth been? If I give you X dollars 
I want a certain multiple of those dollars back within a couple years. It's a formula for investing money into a company and getting something back. And it's a very successful formula. That's how games get written, companies grow, and titles get pushed over the finish line and ultimately made better. Tarkov and BattleEye is an interesting question. I guess looking at BattleEye, that particular service is used in a number of games. So whether or not it's BattleEye itself that failed here with the anti-cheat, or whether it's Tarkov itself that the application of Tarkov, meaning the program of Tarkov, isn't able to be as securely scanned with BattleEye because the way they wrote it, that could be an issue. BattleEye has been used in other games uh, quite effectively, but it's a good question to ask, where is BattleEye in all of this? And also, Tarkov's income stream has always been a question. I think since the early episodes of the Xville, we've mentioned a couple times that Tarkov as a product doesn't have any reoccurring revenue, like an MMO game, for example, like World of Warcraft or EVE Online or something that has a monthly fee and then a new patch comes out or a new expansion comes out and you buy the expansion. It creates stability for the long-term development of the game. And Tarkov doesn't really have that. There's all kinds of other things that people do in FPS games, like you can sell different skins or all kinds of things. You can buy, like PUBG now has a couple different types of currencies for microtransactions and all kinds of crazy stuff, which I don't understand. I just load PUBG to shoot people. (laughs) (laughs) And as Tarkov goes on, they're going to have to figure that out because one of the unique requirements for Tarkov is that a skin could actually break the gameplay immersion because a skin advertising something could actually make you more visible in some way. And you wouldn't necessarily want that. But maybe if a skin could make you too hard to spot, it would be considered to be something that was necessary or considerably overpowered. And Tarkov being a realism kind of milsim genre of a game really has opened itself up to not being able to sell those kinds of things because of their effect on just the way the game works. I think Tarkov is going to have to solve this problem in order to survive long term. I do not think that Tarkov is specifically or battle state is specifically cares about making money off of cheaters buying copies of the game. I know that is a somewhat prevalent opinion out there in the community. And I think that opinion largely stems from just frustration and also ignorance. You could use a VPN and say, connect to some South American country and buy a copy of the game for cheaper. But then those copies of the game end up getting region locked. If you're playing from North America, for example, and you buy a copy of the game in Ukraine, and you say, okay, well, I only spent $4 on EOD because I bought it in Ukraine. Well, it's region locked to Ukraine servers or Eastern European servers. And Tarkov is ping locked at a certain ping. I think it's like 170 or 150, something like that. And most of those servers would be out of reach, meaning that ping to get to those servers would be considerably higher and the game client wouldn't even let you connect. So I think that at least for cheaters in North America, that's going to be a tough sell to say that Battle States lost control of like their keys and stuff like that. Like you basically have to buy it from the Escape from Tarkov website to get a legit copy of the game. I think what it comes down to in the end, the the, the truth of all of this lies somewhere in that Battle State is a medium-sized company, meaning they're I think they said they have 130 employees now and Tarkov is a very complicated game. 
And it's difficult to create an anti-cheat for a game that has so much going on. The truth about software development is that sometimes you can have a software that you write, and whether it's a game or an application or anything, but you can write software that works fine, but then over time, the parts of the software that you wrote that are functioning need to be rewritten because something changes in the requirements for what you're doing. And Tarkov could be in a situation that there's a chunk of code that does actually work, but now needs to be rewritten, which the problem with that is it doesn't provide anything new or exciting to the community who's following the game. Really, all it does is take an existing piece of it that's already working and then rewrite it. And at the end of all of that effort, the community sees no change. They just get something that is already working, working again in a different way in the back end. But in order for some of this anti-cheat stuff to work, as technology changes and the way that people intercept packets and do all this technical things to cheat, they may need to do something like that. And that's a problem when we as gamers have been programmed to always expect new stuff constantly. I think Battlestate has got a challenge coming up here and how they respond to this. This is going to be very telling of where the direction of Tarkov is going long term. I do too. You know, there, a lot of people have landed on this, like, well, Battlestate's got to do something about this cheating problem. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's a big problem. I think that's what everyone can agree on. How to solve it is, is also a hot debate on <laughs> what to actually do or what's important. And I guess where where I have questions is, well, if they need to invest a bunch of money into reworking code like you suggest, or upping their anti-cheat developers, or paying additional money to external providers like BattleEye. It just had me looking back at something I didn't hear a lot about, which was that revenue stream or the value of the company that, you know, most people bought the game years and years ago now and play it all the time, but we're not putting more money into it. If there's these huge things, huge projects that need to get going and no opportunity for additional revenue from from gamers, it just has me thinking about that business side, like you said. So, it's so complex. And there's so many layers to it, you know, not to provide excuses for anyone, but I think that's why we saw so many various types of reactions to the video. Because, you know, no one knows what to think about one person cheating to show this off, the methods they use to capture it, what it means for creators if they're allowed to do this and continue playing the game. I mean, there's so many layers of complexity to this. At the end of the day, it's a game that a lot of people love. A lot of people have tons of question marks about and clearly has a big problem. What the resolution to that or how long it's going to take or what's even the right path, man, that's hard to see. It's hard to know. I don't, I don't even know what to expect. I don't even know <laughs> what I want to see. One of the things that I did want to bring up, though, is on the heels of this and some of the aftermath, I've been playing a fair amount of Tarkov. I hadn't been up until the video. Honestly, I was playing PUBG. I was playing Hearthstone. I was playing Diablo 2 Resurrected. The new ladder came out. And then this video happened. And then after a few days of just paying attention to what was going on, I was like, you know what? I'm curious. Does the game feel different now? Is the player base different? What's going on? The truth is, once I loaded into the game, and you and I have played a fair amount, I've caught a raid here and there, and I've, I've been doing a lot of scav runs when I can, I've been, I've been having fun. I've been enjoying it. I haven't had anything crazy or suspicious happen since the video. 
And I don't know if that's because of the more aggressive banning and the ban waves we've heard about. But at the end of the day, the game is still really good. I don't know if that's just because they've been making updates to throw cheaters off or if they've banned a bunch of people, but the last few days of playing the game have been good. Frustrating, like it always is when you die trying to get stuff done, but we've had an amazing time working through a weekly quest to do 15 raids on Shoreline and how to approach that. I've had some daily quests that have been really good, and progressing through some of the the normal quests has also been good. So Tarkov does progression right, they do hardcore right. It's challenging. And man, now there's a cheating problem that a ton of people are aware of. So where do you go from here? You have a great game and you have a great big cheater problem. What's next? Well, I think in the short term, they're going to have to work on changing the perception of what the game is and what the game isn't. And we'll get to see how they do that by how they communicate. You've seen a lot of extra posts from Nikita on Reddit AMAs and all kinds of other ways to communicate. I know that they've ramped up their community team. I know that they're going to have to try to change the perception of their game because right now, whether the perception is true or not, it's gone incredibly negative. And there are gamers out there who are just willing to just give up on it. I can understand that frustration, especially because Tarkov is an incredibly rewarding game, but it's incredibly frustrating when you can't get something done that you're really trying to do. And whether or not that is because of a cheater, or whether or not that's just because, you know, sometimes you get into a situation where you just lose. It, it really doesn't matter because it all leads to frustration. And frustration is always filtered through the lens of perception. And so BSG is going to have to deal with that. And we'll, of course, be around to uh, talk about it as more of this comes out. But we wanted to get you guys our thoughts on this. We had, I would say, multiple people message Trigger and I asking <laughs> for... We had a lot of people. Yeah. They're like, hey, when's the Xfield going to come out and talk about this? And, you know, we kind of wanted to wait and see how things are going and make sure it wasn't overdone. I actually asked some folks in Discord, I'm like, hey, you know, has this been overdone? Do you want us to talk about it or really? Or Because, I mean, we didn't want to just create more content around something because neither one of us are full-time content creators. We do this as a hobby podcast and it's fun. You got any other thoughts, Trigger? Yeah, I guess one of the hard parts about this is like you guys have heard now kind of our thought process or the things we're thinking about. And we have very different lenses. You know, we often think about things through a business lens or, you know, our own personal experience lens. Obviously, we take in all of these things that are out there. But one of the things that you just said, Eric, was we don't do this full time. We do it as a hobby. We do it for fun. And one of the weird things about this was the entire situation was pretty entertaining watching, you know, people speak up, people speak out, people get mad at each other, people defending opinions that weren't actually even given, people that were, you know, taking rough figures and using them as fact. It did create a really like interesting pocket of entertainment just watching it unfold. That was a weird thing for me. It was a weird thing for me to be like, I'm entertained by something that I really don't like happening with a game I enjoy. But watching the chaos around it was entertaining in a weird way, where it was like, who's going to make a dumb statement next? Who's going to backtrack next? You know, who's <laughs> what's Battlestate going to do? What's Nikita going to say? Is Nikita going to talk on Twitter where all this craziness is happening? Oh, no, he's doing an AMA on Reddit. You know, <laughs> like it was just like, what weird thing is going to happen next? And I wonder about old adages like, any press is good press. I don't know that that's the case here. I just find it to be 
interesting, but also I don't want it to end sadly. I don't want this to be like the beginning of the end for Battlestate or Tarkov. I really hope that their short, medium, and long-term plans address this cheating problem and do it in a way that does affect that perception. Because that's what's going on in me. It's this dynamic, not great emotion of being entertained by something I think could be very detrimental. Or it could be the thing that highlights the problem in a way where BSG finally you know, take something that's been going on for a while and really does something about it. So it's a weird emotion to be entertained by something that might be bad, could be good, I don't really know. And I feel even weird even saying that. I found myself very interested in what was going on. <laughs> as as someone who's taken pretty big step back from content creation, at least compared to what we used to do last year. Yep. And we'll just have to wait and see. Tarkov has a great game, and we have a great player base, and we have a great community in the XFL. We'd really love to hear about what you guys think about this. Come in the Discord in episode feedback. We'd really love to hear your thoughts on this, because I think this is an important topic for us to all talk about. The game is really at one of those critical moments, critical juncture, fork in the road, as it were. A year from now, it's either going to be a lot better, or we're going to still be struggling, and things could be you know, not so great. So if you have thoughts on this, hit us up in Discord and episode feedback and let's talk there. But as for now, the green bar is flashing and we're definitely almost out of here. Before we go, make sure you follow us on Twitter, MTB Trigger at Ronald Gaming. And if you're looking to chat with us, hit us up in Discord. We're checking those at least every day and we'd love to interact with the community there. But besides that, we hope all of your raids go well and we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. See ya.